I think we have to create tools that allow us to quantitatively and scientifically view things through a lens of what is your pollution exposure and then what can I do with that? Welcome to Data Points, a new podcast from Berkeley Earth that takes an impartial look at the people, places, and issues surrounding climate science. Berkeley Earth is an independent, non-governmental, non-profit research organization supplying comprehensive, open-source, global temperature and air quality data that is accessible, timely, and verified. To learn more about how you can support independent climate science, visit us at berkeleyearth.org. Welcome, and thank you for joining us for this episode of the Berkeley Earth Podcast. We are absolutely thrilled to welcome our guest today, Dr. Vineet Khanna. Uh, Dr. Khanna is a board-certified radiologist, currently the practice lead for the low-dose lung cancer CT screening program at the Veterans Affair Medical Center, as well as a physician advisor for the Ohio Department of Health. Earlier this year, he was the lead author on a paper entitled Criteria for Low-Dose CT Lung Cancer Screening in the Setting of Air Pollution, a discussion that's long overdue, uh, suggesting the need to consider the inclusion of air pollution exposure as a risk factor for lung cancer and lung cancer screening. Uh, In addition to his work as a physician, he's also the Chief Medical Officer for Interface Analytics and a Physician Advisor for the Accessible Prosthetics Initiative. Uh, This is a really exciting episode, a really crucial topic, and we are thrilled to welcome him today. So Dr. Connick, thank you so much for joining us today. Really great to have you here. Thank you. Happy to be here, Christy. So just to start us off, why don't you give us an introduction to your work and your background? Sure. So I'm a radiologist. I did my medical training between the University of Pittsburgh and the Cleveland Clinic. I work for the Veterans Affairs Healthcare System. Some of my specific responsibilities here include being the physician lead for low-dose lung cancer screening and also optimizing MRI protocols at our 1.5 and 3 Tesla scanners. So you're a radiologist. Um, We don't really see many radiologists in the field of air quality. Um, So maybe what was it specifically that led you to an interest in air quality and air pollution as a practicing physician? How did you kind of wander over here into kind of air pollution and and climate science? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. I think like a lot of things, it was a combination of fortuitous events and in my own curiosity. So I grew up in the the U.S., largely in the Midwest, and to be honest, the places where I grew up, the air quality is pretty good. I didn't spend a lot of time really thinking about it uh, for, for a while. I've gone to India every year where, where my parents are from, and I noticed that in the past few years, it seemed to be quite bad. And then mm-hmm. in November of 2016, I happened to get married in Delhi uh, to my wife, who was from Delhi. And I was very excited uh, to get married there because it was a city that I had a lot of memories from. And I, it was a, like a second home to me. And so in November of 2016, when I got married, it was some of the most catastrophic air pollution in the history of, of pollution, I think. It's now mm-hmm. called the quote-unquote Great Delhi Smog. Wow. And I was really quite horrified. Like, I just couldn't really believe how bad it was because you could even just feel it in the air. You could see it. And the hotel I was staying at, there was actually an air pollution scientist there from Austin. He, hmm. he, he told my friends that he had never recorded levels that high in his whole career. And after that, as a physician, it just, it just made me just start to think a lot about, you know, the, how much of air pollution is an issue and how much of a problem that it, that it proposes for the, for the healthcare and the public community. And one of the other issues that, that really struck me was how when I read the Berkeley um, Earth paper, I saw that there was the equivalence of translating the pollution AQI to cigarettes. And I realized how much that we kind of underestimate the, the health effects that are related to pollution. Mm. 
Yeah. And, and I definitely think the health effects and, and kind of what we've collectively been doing about that. I think that's something that I definitely want to get into later, but um, coming back kind of to your work as a, as a, as a physician in this field, in January of this year, you were the lead author on a paper, um, and the paper was titled Criteria for Low-Dose CT Lung Cancer Screening uh, in the Setting of Air Pollution, a Discussion that is Long Overdue. Um, we'll go ahead and link that paper below if anyone wants to go ahead and read that. But um, you essentially call for expanding lung cancer screening for those living in areas of increased air pollution um, suggesting essentially that the 21st century's um, as yet unrealized risk of lung cancer due to air pollution is comparable to that of cigarettes um, in the early 20th century, kind of before science caught up with, um, you know, science and medicine caught up with what was actually happening and what the real effects were. So um, tell us a little bit about the, the genesis of this paper and, and, and how you came to put this together. Sure. So when, when I was actually in training at the University of Pittsburgh, towards the end of my training, I noticed that we were doing a lot of lung cancer screening uh, CTs for, 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 for patients who were smokers. And after I was in India and I realized how much of issue, issue pollution was, and I realized from the Berkeley Earth paper that you can actually quantify a relationship between pollution and, and cigarettes, it made me think that, you know, why don't we incorporate pollution as a risk factor? Because it doesn't really make mm -hmm. sense that we talk about, you know, pollution as, as like not, is it's not considered to be a risk factor of screening yet in many ways in the modern world it actually is. And so when we screen for patients for lung cancer now, we just ask them, are you a smoker? And how long did you smoke for? And how much have you smoked for? Mm -hmm. But if you actually look at the demographics of lung cancer in patients that are from polluted areas, you see that it's actually totally out of concordance with how we traditionally think about lung cancer. Usually we think about lung cancer as basically by and large a disease, a disease of smokers. And in the past, that was mostly true. And, and, and even now in areas that are not polluted, that remains mostly true. However, if you look at places like Delhi, for example, in, in 1998, 10% of, of lung cancer patients were non-smokers. And if you look at it now, 50% are. And wow. you can really attribute that to, to pollution. Wow. And they're, actually, they're also in a younger age group. And you can even see that even in things that are outside lung cancer, the effects are very obvious. Surgeons in Delhi are now saying that patients who are non-smokers have black lungs. Mm. Usually as, as in medical school, we were always trained that black lungs was something you saw in smokers basically. Wow. So it really shows how equivalent that effect is. And it made me think that are we basically missing the boat? Like, why are we not thinking about screening in terms of both these factors? And in, in ways I understand why I think as a medical community, we have missed the boat because I think that a lot of these trials were done in areas that were largely not polluted. And so it made sense that you would focus mostly on smoking because that was the risk factor. But the issue now sure. is that in places where you're seeing this ex exploding pan epidemic, you could say, or even pandemic of, of pollution-related lung cancer, that we're applying trials that were not done in those areas with risk factors that are now relevant there. Hmm. And what we'll likely see is that those trends will continue to worsen because the pollution is, is not really abating in many of these areas. And given the lag time between pollution exposure and lung cancer development, if we're already seeing a change in lung cancer demographics from pollution in years past, in many ways is less than now, it's only gonna to continue to get worse in that way. And one thing that I think is really important to understand is that physicians were trained to have a scientific way of viewing risk factors. And for example, as a radiologist, one thing that I think about every day is radiation exposure, because many of our exams have radiations, we have to think about, you know, what is the risk to patients from radiation? 
And the way we think about it in many ways is simple is we think about how often you're exposed to that risk, how severe is that risk, and then what is that risk really doing to you? And if you think about it, if you think about pollution in those terms, it's really very alarming because over 90% over of the world's population has unhealthy air. And there's almost nothing that you do more often than breathing and you're exposed to it from birth. In fact, even prior to birth, fetuses have bad effects from air pollution. So there's really nothing more ubiquitous than the air you breathe. So in that, in that context, you have to really factor it into the screening criteria. And I think that what we need now is basically trials that, that evaluate the efficacy of that and to see if that's something that's feasible and to what, and to what degree. One thing that I think is exciting about the possibility of having these trials is that there's a lot of um, research in parallel about blood-based screening, screening solutions, I should say, for screening in the setting of lung cancer and other cancers as well. And I think that's very helpful because one of the most, I think, easiest concerns about screening on a larger scale is that even if it's helpful, you know, how practical is it? How expensive is it? Can you actually do it? And the rise of these potential blood-based uh, screening tools could really increase the scalability of these things. So I think what we really need now is a scientific community to ask questions about this and to do trials that, that find answers for them. Yeah, wow. I mean, thinking about some of these areas too in the world that are experiencing some of these impacts, I mean, it's a huge number of people, um, just a really significant population that's potentially uh, exposed to these significantly high levels of air pollution. and. Uh, I mean, I think we kind of have a, well, we do have an understanding of the impacts of cigarettes um, kind of at the population level, uh, as well as what mitigation efforts can do to help uh, reduce and mitigate mortality and things like that. But I mean, in terms of disease burden, just, and we're talking about huge amounts of people, um, you know, what are the potential impacts of this additional incidence of lung cancer? I think both in terms of the impact on the patient lives, um, but also on healthcare systems. Um, you know, what possible scenarios are we looking at potentially, knowing that we don't really know everything so far, but, um, you know, what, what are we looking at in terms of burden? Um, on healthcare systems? The, the scenarios are quite significant. So research already shows there were over 6 million deaths that are attributed per year globally to specifically pollution-related lung cancer. Wow. Um, and quite a lot of those are in areas of the highest pollution and also population bases, such as India, China, but by no means limited to those countries. And one of the issues is that many of those are diagnosed at a later stage of lung cancer, in which case the prognosis is often worse. And in many of these places, like I think is a problem in most countries, the healthcare system is already strained from, from multiple reasons. And the burden of, of this incidence really places more strain on a lot of these healthcare systems that struggle to find the resources to treat them. And I think that we, we really have a lot of risk to the public at large that they will end up doing nothing out of their own fault that's exposing them to these risk factors yet still be in places where the healthcare is going to suffer a lot and where the health, healthcare system may struggle to treat them accordingly. And I think just kind of as a follow-up to that, I mean, we, we, we are starting to see the impacts. We are kind of projecting that this is probably going to get worse before it gets better. We're, you know, we're discussing here possible interventions, um, but really this has only recently made it onto the radar of the international health community. 
Um, what do we still need to know? Uh, like, what are what are some of the questions that still exist that need to be answered as we kind of look forward, seeing the situation evolving and wanting to kind of get involved and intervene? One thing as a researcher is I think that for every answer, it often opens up more questions. So that, that's mm -hmm. a very good point. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of answers so far. We do see that there's correlations with, with lung cancer, in addition to lung cancer, I should say, to other diseases as well due to pollution. And that includes COPD, ischemic heart disease, lower respiratory infections, stroke, diabetes. And it really has a range of, of effects across all ages. You, you see things from intrauterine inter growth re retardation fetuses. You can even see studies that have shown lower IQ in children who were raised in areas that had higher pollution. And most recently, actually, even as recently as six days ago, there was a study out of South Korea that shows that they were linking Parkinson's in the elderly to nitrous oxide pollution. Um, so I think there's answers, but it also raises questions to, to your point about even if we have these correlations and this research showing all these things, you know, what, what do we do about them? And I think that's that's the biggest question. And I think the questions the, the questions that it raises to that are in many ways multifaceted. I think there's obviously, as a public advocacy standpoint, we need to lobby for reduced pollution, but I think that we also have to be take a multi-pronged approach to it and also ask questions that obviously we can't reduce pollution to nothing overnight, nor, nor is that likely. So I think it raises additional questions about what do we do that, what do we do with pollution data as, as a society? How do we translate that to tools that are actually clinically meaningful? Because, you know, anybody can say that, okay, pollution is out there and it's bad, you know, but fine. But, you know, how do we guide that? How do we guide the public? How do we inform them? How do we make them aware of what their pollution level is? And how do we do that in a way that is quantitative, that isn't simply subjective, that, that we can say is scientific and feel we have confidence that we're doing this in a way that quantifies pollution, translates it into clinically meaningful data, and is the data that we can actually do something with, both for individuals and healthcare professionals as well. I think those are the big questions that we have to think about now. Wow, definitely. And just, I mean, thinking from a public awareness standpoint, I, I can't help but think about um, awareness around the uh, dangers of cigarette smoking and how severe we knew the impacts were, but also kind of how long that took to really um, take hold kind of in public consciousness. But that actually leads me perfectly into my next question, which is talking specifically about the air quality data. You know, Berkeley Earth was one of the earliest organizations to start collecting and providing open source real-time air quality data. Um, some of our earliest studies were about health impacts and mortality in specifically in China. Um, and you mentioned the cigarette equivalent study as well, but you know, how is air quality data being utilized at all within the, within the healthcare um, and medical field at this time? I mean, is that, is that becoming uh, something that's being discussed? Um, kind of what, how, how is data and specifically more accessible data potentially helping to mitigate some of these issues? To a large degree, it's not really being used. I think it both most healthcare practices, to some degree, people such as myself who have a research interest in this will likely be using it, but I think that's really a very small, tiny segment of the healthcare community. And it's something that I think we have to look into about how do we make it more accessible? How do we make it relatable to both patients, but also physicians who, have, who are not simply researchers in this area? Yeah. And I think the importance of data, to, to your point, can't be underestimated because the data is in many ways the engine that, that drives everything we do. 
because even if we have research that shows all these effects and we've done trials and we've done things that can prove that there's a causative effect between say pollution to some level and clinical side effect that we want to avoid, we have to have pollution data that actually informs us about how much has an individual actually been exposed to pollution over a certain period of time. I think the importance of, of Birth the Earth and particularly the historical time series of air quality data can't, can't be stressed enough because that that data is essential to guide us, to give us a risk profile of, of individuals. And in many ways, the way you can think about it and the way I think about it is, is there's a big opportunity here for collaboration between healthcare professionals and the pollution data science community, because in order to do this in a meaningful way, you both, both um, pillars, you could say, of this foundation of thinking have to be working at the same time and together, because you both need a clinical track that's evaluating the, the effects of pollution, but you also need pollution data science to inform us about what, what pollution has somebody been exposed to and how do we use that. So in many ways, it's a working partnership that is, I think, essential. And in healthcare, we use the word multidisciplinary a lot. Um, and it usually is meant to refer between different specialists within medicine, but it, the opportunity here is in many ways multidisciplinary, both within medicine, but also outside medicine that you need really collaboration between pollution data scientists and physicians and other healthy researchers to address this in a comprehensive way. Yeah, wow. Um, I mean, speaking of kind of the multidisciplinary approach, I mean, I think that kind of speaks to the scale of the potential issue that this is really, um, you know, it, it touches on many different uh, factors. I think we're seeing, you know, it, it's, it's air pollution, it's industry, it's, it's potentially climate change, it's, you know, and it's healthcare, and they're kind of all coalescing uh, in this way, in this, in this manifestation of these, of these different disease states. Um, you know, and it seems like we have been somewhat aware or very aware of the health risks of air pollution for quite a while, but we're only now really starting to see these impacts on a broad scale and get some quantifiable data around it um, you know, you mentioned that many of these studies on lung cancer risk were maybe done in places that aren't exposed to significant amounts of, of air pollution, but what are some, maybe some other reasons for the lag? Um, you know, why are we kind of behind the curve here? Is, you know, is it, is it just awareness or maybe there's some other factors at play? There are a few factors. I think there is often, well, there is a lag between the risk factor exposure actually developing clinical effects, you know, from that exposure, like say, for example, I was exposed to pollution in India during my, during my wedding, I'm at increased risk for certain diseases because of a certain amount of pollution exposure, though presumably it would be small for that, simply that trip. But even if I were to have, you know, side effects from pollution exposure, it would, it would often be many years in the future. So A, there's a, a lag between risk factor exposure and actually developing the clinical effects of that. And then even if that's observable, there's an additional lag between actually observing it and actually doing a, a comprehensive clinical study that can actually study it and then research it and publish it accordingly. So I think there's a natural lag that is true of, of this and other public health issues. I think there's also been a lag, as you mentioned, about just awareness in the public and particularly the scientific community to, to really address this. And I think that a lot of that is because I think there's kind of a missing link between the the pollution data science world, pollution researchers, and the healthcare world. And I think that there's a missing bridge that has to be created there where we really integrate 
this environmental way of thinking about it with public health and, and medical concerns in order to better inform the scientific community. And much of my research, I think, has been done partly out of my own interest in it, but also because I think it's important to plant that seed in the scientific community's head to look into this, because I think there is a lag. And we have to address it in these in these avenues. Yeah, definitely. And I, I mean, I, I definitely think that needing to build those bridges between the different communities, uh, I think in, in many ways right now with a lot of the changes we're seeing, it's, you know, we're probably going to need more of those multidisciplinary approaches um, as we see more of the effects of, you know, air pollution, climate change take effect. So, um, you know, so I guess kind of my next question then would be, you know, where we're aware of it, we're seeing impacts, we're doing the studies, um, you know, what do we do after that? You know, as a physician, you're, you're seeing these patients, you're seeing these impacts, you know, what would be, in your opinion, like an ideal next solution or an ideal, you know, uh, next step for the global community to take around this issue? I think the answer to that is in many ways multifaceted. And if you think about it, it's, it's in many ways a chain. I think we have to address each chain of the, of the cycle. And it starts from, the chain starts with pollution and it ends with the clinical effects of pollution and there's multiple steps along that way. So the first step, which I think the most obvious step is, you know, pushing to de decrease pollution. I'm obviously not the only person who's, who's advocating for that. But the right. other areas I think require a bit more sophistication. And I think that's a lot of times where things are missing in because we also, also have to be realistic that pollution is not going to disappear overnight. And even if we were to decrease pollution by some dramatic amount, there's already so much of the world has been exposed to it in the first place. And I think there, the next steps that have to be introduced along the chain are that we have to create tools to really empower the public to avoid pollution that's out there. Um, for example, when I when I when I go to India now on my trips every day, I'm sitting there, you know, googling the AQI, but I still don't really feel that confident that I know what what is the AQI, where where I'm actually yeah. you know where I'm actually living. You know, I go there and my in-laws will tell me that you know there's this is a better area the air quality is not that bad or my grandmother might say that and I don't know if that, is that true is that not true is it half true <laughs> kind of thing so we need to create tools that empower individuals to be able to access what pollution are they really experiencing and how do how how can that inform them and we also have to create tools that allow healthcare professionals to view their patient risk exposure in a similar way so they can actually view you know, this is my patient, how, how much pollution is, has he been exposed to? In many ways, you should think about it the way somebody might think about what is your cholesterol level, you know, what is your height, what is your weight, what is your blood pressure, in areas where there's a high pollution level, we need tools that allow people, both themselves and, and their healthcare providers to understand what is their risk profile in the prism of, of pollution. And I think that's only the shift that has to take place is we have to view things through the lens of pollution as well. You know, as a, as a physician, we're used to there's a lot of different lenses where I think we view things, you know, whether it's a lens of there's an obesity epidemic, there's a diet, you know, there's maybe a bad diet epidemic, there's a lack of exercise epidemic. Those are all lenses that I think many of us are used to view things for, from, but I think we have to create tools that allow us to quantitatively and scientifically view things through a lens of what is your pollution exposure and then what can I do with that? And I think that's the tool that I, that I think we really need to focus on as well that requires a little bit more nuance and a little bit more collaboration between different people, both public and private institutions. Definitely. And I think speaking to the fact, I think part of, you know, we discussed kind of the awareness gap and perhaps the complexity of some of the data plays into that. I mean, you mentioned that, 
you know, AQI information is readily available from multiple sources and people can see those numbers, but maybe there needs to be some contextualization around those numbers. What does that really mean? Uh, you know, what, what ultimately is the impact? Um, I think, especially in some of these more heavily polluted places, but um, so what's next for your own research? Uh, you know, you, you published a code, you were lead author on a paper this earlier this year. Yes. Um, you know, you're kind of actively involved in, in creating these bridges with these communities. What, what are you currently working on and what's next for you? I've been working on a few different things to continue, continue my research in this area, continuing my partnership with some of my co-authors on my earlier papers, specifically Dr. Abdometa and Dr. Subha Ghosh, who are both faculty members of the Cleveland Clinic, uh, my former institution. And I've also been working with Dr. N.K. Arora, who's a senior physician and director of the Inkland Trust in India. And we're designing an original research project for incorporating pollution-based lung cancer screening into our into our scientific study that will include three different sites, Bareilly, Shillong, Polgal. Two of those sites are high pollution areas and one of the sites is actually a relatively unpolluted area. So we're gonna kind of contrast and see if there's a significant difference in our results between those areas. So we're very interested in, in this work. And I think there's a lot, of, a lot of room for us to go in terms of figuring out what can we do about this in a way that's really scientific. Sure. Just curious if you do you know when the results of that study will be available? What's kind of the timeline on that that you're well, the timeline right now is is variable, so I okay. couldn't give you an answer on that. Um, obviously, we hope to do it as soon as possible because I think there's an urgency to this work. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's variable at this point. Yeah. Okay. So my last question, I guess, is for anyone who's interested in kind of following developments on this topic or maybe has some questions about their own kind of exposure and risk factors or just kind of wants to maybe get involved and, and pay more attention to what's going on with this. Are there any specific resources you would recommend um, either in India or in the US or elsewhere um, or any researchers or organizations that you follow that you would recommend following as well? Yeah, that's an excellent question. There's a few ones that are actually very accessible and easy to see and I think are presented in a way that's easy to read and understand whether you're a physician or, or not. One that I that I use is the State of Global Air. They make reports every year, like annual reports, and they quantify different pollution metrics, and they specifically give amounts of what, are the, what is the disease burden of those pollution metrics, specifically with those, including deaths, like the, the lung cancer deaths that I cited globally over six million a year. Mm -hmm. I got that from their data. Another one where I've given a talk on recently is the group on Earth observations, they also go by GeoHealth. So they're a, a, a collaborative institution. Some of their partners include NASA um, and the UN, the WHO, which is an excellent organization that focuses on these kind of multidisciplinary approaches yeah. where they want to use environmental data and incorporate that into healthcare decision-making. And lastly, Birth the Earth, obviously is a very good research, uh, research and public information site as well, which has guided me. And the Birth the Earth's as I mentioned, their research on translating the pollution to cigarette equivalents was really a foundation in how I actually wrote my initial paper as well. Great. You can help support Berkeley Earth's independent climate science. Visit donate.berkeleyearth.org to make your tax-deductible donation today. Thank you for listening and for supporting Berkeley Earth.